Welcome everyone to Two Guys Who the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McCurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercame.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll cover book two of The Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, Reshuffle. Let's start the show. Okay, in this reshuffle section, Eddie has to solve what I think is the worst logic puzzle ever. How to get a sick dying gunslinger and a double amputee woman with disassociative identity disorder to a magic door down a beach with only a single heavy wheelchair, diminishing shells for the guns, and only lobstrosities to eat. Well, at least Eddie gets some loving along the way before finding the door labeled the pusher. So, Jay, we've got a short section here, but um, some interesting stuff going along the way. Um, and I think we're going to start by talking about that that loving that Eddie gets along the way, right? I think one yeah. of the, uh, the, 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 the big, uh, there's a lot of action going on from a, how do I get from point A to point B? But a lot of the beginning part of this chapter is the relationship between Eddie and Odetta, who is now back in her Odetta personality. Yeah, uh, obviously, once she switched back to Odetta, she was nothing but helpful and ready and willing to come to the aid of both Eddie and and Roland. And even though as Odetta, she's still very wary of Roland and kind of afraid of him, she clearly has deep affection for Eddie, like almost instantly. Yeah. And that seems to be mutual. Uh, But it kind of made me start to wonder, like, is this realistic? I know this is a fantasy story at heart. I mean... Is it real or is it just the result of two very desperate, scared, and lonely people grasping at the only other available partner in this whole world? Because, you know, I guess Roland is too sick, old, and scary to be appealing. <laughs> you know? I mean, is that what it is? It's like, well, you know, last man on earth kind of thing. Boy, are you uh, attractive? Or is it there? Is there really some chemistry there? What do you think? Well, I think with Eddie, he seems to be a somewhat romantic person um like Roland I can see him making bonds fairly quickly with people like even Roland he gets a relationship with pretty quickly um so I could see how he could be drawn to Odetta fairly quickly I think in one of the previous chapters it's very much as he's looking into her eyes he can see the kindness there and the the warmth and realizes hey this is somebody that I have an affection for I have a little bit harder time believing it the other way. Odetta seems older, and while she's open-minded for a woman of the 60s, like I'm not sure if an interracial relationship would be tops on her side of the list. She's also much more concerned about the alien world she's in. She's distrustful yeah. of Roland, and I think all that would add up to her not necessarily thinking, hey, let's fall in love while I'm here, but you know, strange times, strange bedfellows, that sort of thing. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think I, I do think that there's a certain bit of I've got 250 pages in this book and I want to get these two characters together. Maybe we'll move them along a little bit quicker than might be realistic in real life. So you're saying that it might just be a plot contrivance? I'm not necessarily going that far. I do think that that King's done enough to make these characters sympathetic to the reader and sympathetic to each other. I mean, Eddie mm-hmm. has shown himself to be very caring and open to Odetta. So I think that that could be something where Odetta might, you know, 
potentially fall in love with him. I think it's it's very clear to me seeing Eddie fall in love with Odette. I think King does a much better job of of showing Eddie doing that, and maybe I I have a better sense of the Eddie character to say, yeah, I could see him instantly sort of creating that bond. Well, we've also spent a lot more time with Eddie, and we've had um, like maybe from a, a Game of Thrones parlance, we we've had <laughs> Eddie chapters. Right. Yes. We, we've, we've been in Eddie's head in a sense um, and know kind of the way he thinks and what's important to him and what affects him emotionally. But we haven't really had that opportunity yet with either Detta or Odetta, to, at least not to the same extent. No, you're absolutely right. And even this chapter, the first 11 sections are all from Eddie's perspective, right? It's yeah. him. And he talks about how they're making really good time on the beach now that she's back to the Odetta personality because, you know, they have this almost simultaneous wavelength where she'll say left and he can immediately see, oh, there's rocks there or right. And he can see there's a sand right. trap there. And so like, there's this mental connection that Eddie starts to say, or at least narrate to us that they've got this connection and just that whole thing makes it, like you said, from Eddie's perspective, we've got that. Yeah. And, I mean, there are also a lot of bad decisions that Eddie makes along the way here <laughs> from leaving the gun with her at the end of the, uh, when he drops her off at, uh, by the door to running all night and, and into the next day to get back to Roland and all that stuff. He he makes some pretty bad decisions. And the only real reason King gives us to let them slide is that he's madly in love and a uh, person in love is going to do some crazy things. If he were just wary of this person like Roland is and not in love with her, then I don't think he would have done those things and therefore the story couldn't have progressed the way it did. So that's why it feels like that underlying plot contrivance flavor to this. I, I'm i going to let it go. I think you're just a cold-hearted person, Jay, and can't see two young people falling in love, whereas <laughs> I, I am, I, I, I'm for that, so... What do you think? <laughs> that is not true. I want to see these two these two crazy kids get together and make things work. Well, they do get together in in a surprisingly romantic sense from from King that you might not expect, right? We get a yeah a one sentence chapter. You know they they've come to rest uh, the first night while they're by themselves away from away from Roland and they're talking and talking about what a trying day they had and. Later, with strange galaxies turning in slow gavotte overhead, neither thought the act of love had ever been so sweet, so full. That's a nice line. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Ro um, Roland. <laughs> yeah, Roland wrote these books. Uh, King paints a, a pretty romantic picture uh, in, in this relatively short section of the book, and especially in that, that moment in the story. It almost, uh, you know, makes you kind of feel the same way about these characters that they apparently feel for each other. And there's another line that's uh, very close to that one where they were both looking up at the sky and they saw a single star gleaming on the breast of the night. And uh, I, I thought that was a nice compliment to the one that you just quoted. Just this idea of gleaming on the breast of the night, you know, it just, it makes it feel like not just the world, but the, the universe is there to hold them to their bosom and cradle them in, in a in a loving embrace, you know, and but then we had that one sentence chapter. I, I don't think that's King's shortest chapter ever, but no. he does like those uh those very short chapter breaks. Yes. 
it 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 works for me um surprisingly enough you know even in this crazy alien world and you have to wonder just like us is the first star really a planet and not really a star and so their wishes are going to be for naught because uh-huh. <laughs> usually venus is the first uh, bright light you see in the evening sky but who knows what it's like on roland's world maybe the the wishes that venus grants are the best ones <laughs> maybe there was another part of, in the section that had to deal with romance where Odetta sings part of the the platter song Twilight Time. Mm. The reason why it gave me goosebumps was because since reading this book many years ago, I have since read Hearts in Atlantis, which is a very much Dark Tower adjacent Stephen King book. And that song comes up in every single story and sometimes multiple times in the stories. And it's a really important, uh, it's like a touchstone throughout Hearts in Atlantis. And the first lyric of the song is even the title of the last story in the book. Okay. So that song kind of has become something very much more meaningful to me in relation to the Dark Tower. And then hearing Odetta speak those words of the song here in a way was kind of like a flashback, like, wow, how much of this had King kind of planted the seed of this song? Is this song really that, you know, important? Does it have that much of a resonance throughout Roland's world or the worlds that he connects to through the Dark Tower story that even this song is one of those things connecting everything? And so it was a it was a powerful moment for me to sort of just find this gem buried in this book, like kind of rediscovering it. It didn't mean that much to me when I read it the first time here, but reading it again after reading Hearts in Atlantis means so much more. Right, which came out what, like, 10, 15, 20 years after this book, probably. Yeah, at least 10. Yeah, at least 10. Yeah, and so Hearts in Atlantis is, I want to say, five short stories or novellas within one collection, but they're all intertwined to some extent. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we could maybe say that as long as this podcast continues and is a success, once we get past the Dark Tower books, we might be looking at some of those Dark Tower adjacent or related books as well um, Mm -hmm. and and do a discussion on that. So if that is something that our listeners are interested in and would like to see or hear, we'd love to hear some feedback from you on that. Hearts in Atlantis, I I remember reading it at the time, but having not been as familiar with Dark Tower, I didn't make those connections, although I knew that they were related, the the books. I think, isn't one of the stories, the the men in low coats, isn't that sort of the long story? Yeah, low men in yellow coats. Yeah, yeah, low men in yellow coats, yeah. And then there was a Anthony Hopkins movie made out of one of the stories. There was, and they completely dropped anything that <laughs> all all uh, Dark Tower references. Um, I think, except maybe a couple of words that if you didn't know the Dark Tower books, they just went over your head. But and it was actually a pretty good movie, and I think held pretty true to the story, the 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 key kernels of the story, and how it was about a young boy growing up and things like that. And uh, I think that was Anton Yelchin's first movie. Uh, I think you might be right. Yeah, I think you might be right. Very good. So the, you know, we do get more Odetta in this chapter. um, And we start to learn a little bit more about the relationship between Odetta and Detta. Um, And Eddie's a little bit confused at first, because Odetta's saying, "Oh, I can't eat the lobsters. I'm I must be allergic to it because I'm always throwing it up." And he's he has no idea what she's talking about, but she's yeah. sort of self-rationalized in her head. Why is she feeling weak and hungry? 
And those times when things of time has been blocked out for her, when she's been dead, she's just sort of filling in the blanks herself by saying, oh, I must have been eating and throwing it up. And that's why I'm hungry all the time. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense, because the alternative is that there's a another personality in my mind. <laughs> I wouldn't think of that. So we've heard about this in the previous chapter, The Lady of Shadows, how Odetta really has no recollection or idea that she's gone for long stretches of time. Mm-hmm. She just sort of fills it in herself. And Roland tells Eddie not to make a big deal of it, to just play along with it, right? So um, I know that he's concerned that Eddie in his love love state is going to underestimate Odetta if she turns into Detta. And so sort of saying, hey, here's some of the things I want you to avoid. Like, don't bring up the fact that she might have a split personality and, and stay wary, etc. So how does this whole Odetta, Detta fooling, you know, she's fooling herself basically with the self-rationalization. How, how does this work? Do you think it works? Um, I think King does a pretty good job of you know, we talked a little bit before about how King calls it schizophrenia, but it really isn't. It's this identity disorder instead. But I think yeah. this is a, a good way of talking through this because it's almost like when they tell you not to wake up a sleepwalker, right? Because that could be dangerous. I sort of got the same mm-hmm. sense from this. Like, hey, don't let her know that there's another personality because that might screw up her brain in some way. Yeah. I, I mean, we talked last episode about how Roland has this very deep insight into what's going on inside of Odetta and Detta's mind because of the magic of the door. He has an insight that no psychiatrist could ever achieve. Mm-hmm. And it was that magic of the door that has also exposed the two personalities to each other, perhaps for the first time. But as this has as the story has progressed, I began to wonder, I know Odetta doesn't know about Detta, but I wonder if Detta knows about Odetta and chooses to pretend that she's not there. I've gotten the sense that Detta comes around infrequently and for short periods, and it's just, it's like short enough amounts of time that Odetta can rationalize it away. Right. But when she's Odetta for like weeks or months out on end, Detta can't explain all that time to herself and make it make sense. So she knows there's an other Maybe she doesn't want to acknowledge who this person is or what her personality is like or or even admit that maybe she's a better version of herself in some ways. Mm. Um, then again, she might really despise her. She might think she's weak or too kind or find all sorts of things to complain about her. But I think that it's an uneven relationship here. I think that Odetta is unaware, both consciously and unconsciously, of Detta, but I don't think that's true the other way around. I would agree with that. You know, And if we think about it in terms of if Odette is the primary personality or the primary identity through this, and Det is the interloper in some way, you know, because mm-hmm. of, you know, we don't know exactly why yet. I don't want to say anything. Um, we don't know exactly why, but is she the interloper in some way and not the dominant personality? And so she is much more of uh, undercutting Odetta's personality and aware of it in, in some ways. And her justification, you know, Odetta sort of writes it off as like, oh, I must have passed out or I must not remember right. that or make it up. But Detta's like, 
I understand. And not only do I understand, I know what those gaps were. It's when you guys were torturing me. It's when you guys were raping me, you stupid honk mafas. <laughs> yeah. She's still making up things that happened during the times that she wasn't uh, maybe conscious. But uh, I think when Roland went through the door into her mind, he immediately took control. But she also felt like this is something that happens to yes. me all the time. This is like what it feels like when Odetta reasserts control yep. and I go away. And she has always fought against that. She's always hated that sensation. So she recognized it. It wasn't new like it was for Eddie. It was like, no, this is familiar and I don't like it. Right. And that's why she was just as as much rage as she has at a normal level, like it was it all the way tenfold. to the max. Yeah. yeah. She turned it up to 11. Exactly. And Detta, everything she does is very much a negative image of what Odetta is, right? So if Odetta is the educated, well-off, sort of well-to-do person, Detta takes that and just turns it on the side. I'm going to be the most foul-mouthed, mm -hmm. you know, hateful, stealing individual I can. I live live in a shanty apartment in, in Greenwich Village and just, you know, be the exact opposite I get, where you wouldn't get a sense that Odetta's playing act like Odetta's that's her personality. I like your deep cut throwback to Sylvia Pittston with the interloper. Uh, yes. And again, this is another Stephen King theme. Mm -hmm. Sort of the dark half I I thought of too, where the author yeah. where he's got the second personality, the stark I think is if I'm remembering Dark Half right, I think the yeah, I think character's name is. was Stark. Um but how they've got that you know, two sides of a coin and this other personality. And it's a good theme to play with. I agree. So the other big relationships here is obviously Roland and Eddie, right? So Roland is not in good shape at all. Um, and he realizes it, that he's in trouble and that his only way out is really Eddie. Eddie's got to be the hero here. And at the beginning of the chapter, we get Roland saying to Eddie, you know, you've got to get us both to the door. The door's our only hope. And I'm trusting you to get Odetta back there. Come get me and then come back and we'll, we'll do this. But I'm, I can't walk anymore. I'm dying. I need food. You know, yeah. I need medicine. But Roland is starting to treat Eddie much more like that type of person, almost not quite an equal yet, but very much giving him the responsibilities. And that bond seems to be getting stronger in this section. Yes, definitely. There are several occasions when it's small things but it still seems very much out of the ordinary for Roland where Roland uh, has just these little signs of affection for Eddie like he slaps him on the back like good job or there's that time when Roland's really angry about Eddie giving uh, Odetta the gun but he still can't keep from smiling he's like <laughs> I understand where you're coming from buddy I know why you did it I've but... been there before <laughs> It was still stupid, Eddie, but mm -hmm. I I understand. And the sick burns are, are still kind of continuing here. <laughs> you know, there's the, the time when, like, Eddie calls calls Roland uh, like a fucking shit, like, over and over again because he's just so angry and disgusted with him. And finally, <laughs> Roland just kind of, on his last breath, says, you know, ah, don't worry, this fucking shit will find a way. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and that, of course, makes Eddie feel bad again. It's interesting because you wouldn't think this of Roland, but this might get back to where Roland has a good insight into the psychological needs of people and understanding of people. Mm -hmm. He is somebody who knows what's going to produce the best results out of Eddie, right? Yeah. 
this is Eddie's not a person like Roland was where when he was being trained by court beatings and boxing of the ears and you know insults and all those things that was really court's only sort of training as far as we could see from the little bit that we've seen yeah. in court right but like he seemed to treat all the boys that way and they all got the same sort of treatment and that was what was expected and while Roland can draw on court for some of his you know I've got to be rough with this guy he also knows when he needs to coerce Eddie or when he needs to praise Eddie or when he needs to have a laugh with Eddie to get the best out of him so it's interesting that Roland knows that and does that that situational let me see what works here and make sure I'm I'm not pushing this guy too hard because he is in a weird spot, right? Like mm-hmm. he has been kidnapped to some extent and, you know, being the hard ass isn't going to work with Eddie. He might just shut down or, right. or even further, he might just, he and Odetta go off and do their thing. And he's got, he, Roland realizes he's creating a team here and he's got to do what's best for the team. Yes. So. One thing that just occurred to me when we were talking about how, how Eddie and Roland are becoming a little bit more chummy. Is this just a factor of human nature? When the dynamic changed when a, another person joined the group. Mm. Before, it was just the two of them. So it was always one versus the other. It didn't matter if they had a common goal. It didn't matter what their shared or differing experiences were. It was just one versus the other. As soon as you added a third person, then it became two to one and two to one. And, and so, you know, it's like when a new person joins the team at work or something like that. They're not necessarily an outsider, but I think human beings have a tendency to kind of group up and form cliques sure, and that sort of thing. And I think that in a sense, at least in this very early stage of their um, development as a group of three, it's going to start off as a group of two plus one. Yep. So just adding that third person makes the first two closer because they're the ones who've been around a while yes it could just be that to some degree yep so it all comes to a head when we get to the end of the chapter and they get to the third door so the first door was labeled the prisoner just like the tarot card the second door was named the lady of shadows just like the tarot card Mm -hmm. and the third door which you might expect to say death instead says the pusher right and that sort of throws Roland for a, a little bit of a loop. And when they get to that door after their trip up the beach, Eddie and Roland cannot find Odetta. She is not there. And despite them being chummy on the way up the beach, uh, Roland and Eddie, things break down a little bit here. Roland realizes immediately that Odetta has become Detta mm-hmm. and is hiding out somewhere and also has a gun. Yes. And that's bad. And Eddie, interestingly enough, goes the Odetta route and starts to self-justify and make stories up of what could possibly have mm-hmm. happened, right? Like, oh, maybe there was a lion that ate her or at least pulled her away. And then maybe she got a shot off and maybe she's doing this and maybe she's doing that. And yeah. maybe she was torn to pieces and is dead. And that would be preferable to me admitting that I was wrong. Right. So so Roland obviously is a fan of Occam's razor and is like, nope, the simplest solution is the one we should go with. She's turned into data. You and I need to get through the door because I'm going to need your help. And it's the only way for you to be safe because you don't have a gun and things are bad here and you're going to fall asleep because you've been pushing a 200 pound man in a, in a wheelchair up a beach for the last day and a half. 
but he doesn't push Eddie quite far enough, right? So he realizes no. that even though that that's what he wants to do, and even as much as he tries to get Eddie to come with him. Yeah, even tries to trick him. He even tries to trick him, and Eddie's not going to fall for that. Um, he knows how far to go, right? Like, he's like, all right, I've still got to do this because I'm dying, and this might be my only way out to find something to help me um, as the doors seem to. So he leaves Eddie there. So I see this as a sign of respect for Eddie. Is it a sign of I understand that your love is going to be more important than anything I could tell you, even perhaps your death? What do you think is happening here? I think it's a little bit of both of those things, uh, that it is respect and that it is um, respect for Eddie as an individual and maybe a, a respect for Eddie's love for Odetta. Hmm. Roland recognizes that Eddie is the person that he has come to know and understands which ways he can be influenced and which ways he can't. So he is respecting Eddie for who he is and not trying to push him beyond where he knows he can go. And he also sees in Eddie the actions and decision-making of somebody who is in love. And like we talked about a little while ago, people in love don't always make the best decisions. So Roland would have to overcome both of those things to get Eddie to do what Roland wants him to do. And he knows that's not something he can do, especially when he is physically so gone that he can barely, I don't even think he could stand on his own, let alone chase him around the beach or Although you do get a sense that he probably, like, even Eddie realizes that, though, that, like, I know you're weak and can barely stand, but I have a feeling that if I got within three feet of you... Yeah, you'd suddenly turn into a vice grips and... Yeah, you could grab me, drag me through the door, and that'd be it. So um, even in that state, which we've mentioned before, Roland is still formidable. You know, you made the point about how this door is labeled somehow inconsistently with the tarot cards. I was just looking through the book... And the artwork that starts the pusher section has the drawing of what the tarot card was. And on it is a skull, and it says Le Mort. And for one thing, it kind of struck me as odd that for some reason it would be written in French. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> this one tarot card in the whole deck, when all the others weren't written in French. Yeah, that is a good point. I hadn't noticed that. But it is death. It's not the pusher. Right. I mean, there are so many ways to represent death. A skull kind of personifies it a little bit in a way that maybe it connects it closer to the pusher hmm. but i think there might be more to what the card says as well but that's something for our next episode for our next episode yes tune in <laughs> tune in constant listeners <laughs> all right so we end this chapter with Detta overlooking the beach and realizing there's at least one honk mafa that she can get that's right with her gun and that's Eddie who realizes, damn, I'm tired and I'm going to have to fall asleep here, but yet I need to be on my guard. And then our third character, Roland, is walking through a door to who knows what, right? Like one door led him to Eddie in the mid 80s on an airplane. Another door led him to Detta in the 60s stealing jewelry. Mm -hmm. And where will this third door lead him? Who will be the third person drawn? Oh. When uh, Roland went through the door and met, Odetta, it was in New York, and Eddie's life is in New York. But when he went into his mind, he was on a plane flying back from the Caribbean, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. I wonder how close he was to New York at the moment that Roland went through the door. Because I wonder if New York has something to do with this. 
like that's the that, that the doors all lead to New York. Yeah, mildly interesting. Yes, it is a mildly interesting <laughs> idea. I mean, even Jake came from New York. New York seems important. Yeah. All right. So I think that that covers sort of the main themes that we wanted to discuss in this section. I realized uh, just before we started recording today that I was a little disappointed that when we did the shuffle chapter, the section breaks for the chapter were distinguished by shuffle, right? Like we were. Mm -hmm. And in this reshuffle section, I sort of assumed we'd be in a very similar type of mode where we get like shuffle in between, but instead these are all numbered section breaks. So just, just a little stylistic thing that Mr. Consistency Sean does not like to see. <laughs> well, also that shuffle motif was a really great way for us to be in Roland's headspace when he was just totally out of it or and coming in and out of consciousness, which we sort of get a sense of is happening again and maybe even even in a worse way now, but none of the action is from Roland's perspective. No. So that wouldn't make sense. A little bit. There's one chapter I think is when it's Roland and he hears Eddie approaching. So right. like I said, I'm Mr. Consistency. So I would have almost preferred, you know, I think the first 11 sections of this chapter are all from Eddie's point of view. It's Eddie talking with Roland about how they're going to, what the plan is. Eddie going with Detta down the beach or Odetta. Eddie coming back up the beach. Mm -hmm. And then we switch into Roland's head for a little bit. And we even get, we switch into Detta's head for a couple of chapters, one of which is an even shorter chapter than the one we read earlier. Uh -huh. There's another one chap, one sentence chapter. But, um, you know, in a perfect world, if I were the editor of the book, and I'm not saying that I'm a better writer or editor than Stephen King and his editor of this book, I'm just saying that I might have done this whole chapter from Eddie's perspective and done a shuffle that way. I know that that's probably not possible with what he wanted to accomplish here, but it would have, it would have mirrored the shuffle section a little bit better if we had a, Hey, shuffle from all of Roland's perspective, reshuffle all from Eddie's perspective, and then maybe a final deal or whatever we would call a third section that could be from Odetta or Odetta's, I don't know. but Yeah, they'd call that one all in or something. <laughs> all in. So uh, anything else about the reshuffle chapter from a thematic standpoint that you would like to discuss before we get to our other thoughts and observations here, Jay? Well, one thing was that in the the last episode, in our discussion of why Odetta slash Detta, uh, we mentioned the fact that this person is in a wheelchair, uh, and that's a disadvantage. But in the reshuffle section, the wheelchair becomes the solution to the problem that they're facing. So that's how they figure out the way to move Roland to the next door, because yeah. he is in need of a wheelchair. And it might seem a little bit short-sighted from a narrative perspective, but it's the same kind of just what Roland needed at the time he needed it type of thing that happened with choosing Eddie because Eddie got him some antibiotics. Yeah. So I don't know if that's part of the mechanism of this whole thing, but it's like if we're going to follow that logic a little bit, then yeah, drawing somebody that has a wheelchair helped out in a really uh, important moment when yes. a wheelchair solves a problem. It might have been better if they could have gone into like the early 2000s and found somebody with a Segway. That might have been even better, but or yeah. a dune buggy. <laughs> or instead of drawing Eddie getting a pharmacist or going to a, someone who works in an ER doctor, so then you get the pharmacy access and wheelchairs, <laughs> perhaps even gurneys, crutches, all that stuff. <laughs> All the stuff needed. They needed yeah. to uh, 
draw Rosario Dawson in the uh, Marvel superheroes. Yes, we need the night nurse <laughs> we to need solve everybody's nurse. problems. She's always there. She knows every superhero <laughs> in New York City. But never introduces them to each other. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sure they'll be introduced at some point. So the other thing that I noticed, and again, we've been talking about this, and I would almost plead with our readers or listeners to to give us feedback on this. There's more weird stuff with the directions here, isn't there, Jay? Yeah, it comes up again. I know we're beating on sort of a, a dead horse here, but it's now becoming so prevalent and in our face that I think that there's something happening here beyond just, hey, an editor might have made a mistake between West and East or King's unaware of, of directions on a West coast of, of a body. Yeah. I mean, have we gotten to the point where like every time the editor points this out, King just winks at him and says, trust me. I got this. Yeah. So this is in section eight of the Reese shuffle. Um, Eddie is pushing Roland. Neither wanted to stop for lunch, but they needed to eat. They made a quick meal and then pushed on again. They're heading north. Mm -hmm. The tide was coming in and Eddie looked to the right. And then there's a dash west dash with rising unease. That's a lot of work to go through just to point out that to the right is west. Yeah. When they're going north. Yeah, we don't need those M dashes there. So I immediately was like, no, 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 no. Your right is not not to the to the west. That is not how things work. And just in case we do think that that's an error, in section 10, this was when, so even though it's later in the chapter, this is to your point earlier about, even, we're in a reshuffle section, so there's a lot of back and forth time-wise here. So mm -hmm. this is when um, Eddie is heading back. So he's just left Odetta and is heading back towards Roland. And so he's run, he ran south, back the way he had come. For the first half hour or so, his shadow ran with him. The improbable shadow of a scrawny giant tacked to the soles of his sneakers and stretching long yards to the east. So that's not an error, right? That means the sun is setting in the west. Mm -hmm. And the shadow points to the east. And the shadow points to the east. And so that is correct, but it doesn't match up with what we bore. So we know in this world that the sun seems to set in the west, or what we would think of as west on a map. Mm -hmm. But earlier on, we're told that West is not that way. So. And they are on the Western Sea. So they're on the West Coast of this continent that yes. they're, they're on. So north up the coast is waters on your left, mountains on your right. But yeah, it just keeps getting switched around. So again, we would love to hear from any of our listeners if they've got thoughts or ideas. Um, and maybe it's as simple as saying all will be revealed in book five or book six. I have not read that far ahead. Jay has, and he doesn't seem to think, I don't want to speak for you, Jay. Jay, do you think that this is answered in later books to your satisfaction? If it is, I have forgotten <laughs> what the connection is, if there is anything. All right. Great. Well, you know, I wanted to take a minute, Jay, to thank all of our fans and listeners for this podcast. Um, we are recording episode 11 today, but our episode 9 came out earlier this week, and it was one of our most downloaded episodes yet. We're very excited by the amount of people who have tuned in and are listening on a regular basis, um, and we're even more excited by the people who are writing in and interacting with us, um, whether that be through conversations with people we know personally um, or people who are interacting with us via Facebook or Twitter or via email. 
and leaving reviews on iTunes. So I just wanted to thank those people. Some of those recent folks that we've been having Twitter conversations with are at Anvil84, at Harrier72, at Lisa Medley, at Sumant30, and at Keith Ritchie, who I know is a musician who has been inspired by the Gunslinger and Stephen King's books and has put out some interesting music and you should go check out. So thank you all for your time and interaction. And we hope to hear from more of you. I know Jay and I are always like that interaction with our fans and listeners. And you guys are pointing out some good things that we hadn't thought of as well. Yeah, it's really great stuff. It's awesome to hear from everybody. And it's kind of, it's the reason why we get excited to do the show. It's one thing to just talk to each other about this, but putting ourselves out there on, on the airwaves and to know that you guys are, are listening and enjoying what you're hearing and talking back to us about what's important to you, what's fun for you, what's puzzling you. It means a lot. So please keep it coming and uh, keep spreading the word. Yep. So we did get an email from Sherry. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but a couple of things that she wanted to point out. Uh, she really liked um, the comparison of Eddie Dean to Charlie Pace, which is the character in Lost that we pointed out a couple episodes ago. Yes, the lovable junkie. Yes. And that, that was actually brought to our attention by another listener, Grant. So uh, thank you, Grant, for pointing that out. Sherry says, I love Lost and can't believe I never thought about it. So don't worry. I didn't think about yeah, it right away I until the Grant same told way. us. <laughs> so we're in the same boat as you. I'm almost as obsessed with Lost as I am with the Dark Tower, and it hadn't occurred to me. So <laughs> Sherry also says uh, she's been thinking about the geography issue. She says that the mistake she just put off to other worlds, maybe time and direction run differently in Roland's world. I I might buy the whole time runs differently. I'm not sure I've totally bought in on direction running differently yet. There's too many inconsistencies between what's east and west for me to buy that there is just... If there is a way direction runs differently in Roland's world, it hasn't been adequately explained to me to feel that I know what's going on. Yeah, I would agree with that. If it were consistent and just but backwards or or tilted or something, I would say, okay, great. It's yeah. another planet or whatever. It has its own way. But to just kind of flip-flop depending on the paragraph you're in, that just still feels off. Yep. And Sherry also points out that she sees the comparison between Roland acting as a teacher to Eddie like Court acted like a teacher to Roland, which I yeah. think is a, a good comparison. We start to hear Court's voice in Roland's head to really bang that home. So Sherry, thank you for emailing us. And if anyone else would like to write in, feel free to. All right. On that, I think that is all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower. And our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. You'll notice that we now have an official rating on itunes now that we've got i think five reviews so that's right you five. you you could be the sixth you could be the <laughs> sixth and maybe we'll call you out on a future episode if you are next episode join us as we cover book two of the dark tower the drawing of the three the pusher for jay russo i'm sean mcgurr thanks for listening